This is episode 66 of the Untapped Podcast, filmed on location at the Trogues Brewery in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Untapped is brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. I'm your host, Chris Sands. And I'm here with the co-founders of Trogues, Chris and John Trogner. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for hosting us at your beautiful brewery. Sure. Yeah, thanks for coming up. Yep, welcome. So this is your 21st year in business, right? That's correct. Yep, we're going into 21. So in your, your original brewery was in Harrisburg, and, and you grew up in this area, correct? Or in the Harrisburg area? We did. We're both central Pennsylvania natives, uh, born and raised in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which is all relatively close by. All right. So let's get this out of the way. So I know what kind of people I'm dealing with first. (laughs) So you're not quite in the middle, but are you Philadelphia sports fans or Pittsburgh sports fans? That's funny. We always have that same conversation here at the brewery, and I think we're pretty well divided. Uh, Who's who? Or just the brewery in general? The brewery in general. So what about you guys? You know, I went to school in Philadelphia, so I'd say I'd trend more towards Philly. All right, I'll give you a pass for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm probably more on the Eagles than the Steelers. Uh, okay, uh, this is already going downhill. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, how, when was it that you guys got into brewing and knew that you wanted to open a brewery together? I want to walk through the origin story. Yeah, well, that was probably early to mid-90s when we really started to talk about it and uh, and started to travel to, to, to see a lot of different breweries. And John and I originally were, were thinking, or I was thinking more from a homebrewing side, not so much from a business side. But that, you know, kind of quickly propelled itself for us to talk about, you know, maybe this is something we could do one day. Um, I mean, a lot happened kind of in between from from home brewing to commercial brewing, um, John kind of just took the leap. Uh, once I started home brewing, it just moved out to Colorado with me and it got a job working at a very small brew pub called the Oasis Brew Pub, and that's really where we started to think about it from a maybe from a business standpoint. Now, did did you move to Colorado with the idea that you wanted to get into the beer industry, or is that just where you ended up? No, I moved to Colorado to ski. Okay. <laughs> And, and to go to college. And to go to college and, and uh, obviously fell in love with beer there. Okay. What did you go to school for? Small business and entrepreneurship. Well, per- perfect for mm-hmm. starting your business then. Um, and I guess also in, in the mid-90s, that's probably one of the only places where you would really be able to immerse yourself in craft beer with a lot of options. There were a handful of places across the country you could do that. Um, it worked out perfectly because I had great skiing for Chris and a good university uh, and then that's also where he started homebrewing and seeing the at that point I guess microbreweries start to pop up and and be part of the community um, I was going to school in Philadelphia and uh, also while working in a high-rise 19th floor uh, um, suit and tie cubicle kind of scenario on the first floor of that building was Dock Street Brewing Company so that was the you know, the first time that I walked in, sat down at a bar with a brewery behind it and had something completely different than the, you know, yellow fizzy beer I was used to drinking in college. And that's where my kind of aha light bulb went off. And I was like, wow, this is, I don't know what this is. Like, I don't know what 
at that point, I didn't know what hops, malt, any of the bitterness. Like, I had no concept whatsoever what it was. It was just really cool and interesting. So Chris and I started talking, um, you know, coast to coast, basically. It was pre-email and pre-text. Like, you, you weren't, you know, FaceTiming and talking about yeah. beer. <laughs> uh, but we'd come home for the holidays, for instance, and he'd talk about the, the homebrews he was doing. And and uh, it just kind of got the, the whole juices flowing. You know, we grew up in a family that was entrepreneurial in nature. Um, our father and, and uh, uncle had a business together. So it was kind of just matter of fact for us to that we wanted to start a business of some kind we just we weren't quite 100 percent sure what what that would be um so then when beer came up we thought hey that'd be sounds cool let's let's go start a brew pub i guess at that point was what mm -hmm. we were saying uh luckily we got some advice that we should probably work at one first uh, before just diving in um so after graduating college i moved out to colorado and happened to uh, walk into a brew pub when they needed help literally right then and there. Uh, they were hand bottling on a small handmade bottling line and uh, one of the hoses popped off and kind of made put beer all over the the what was the prep kitchen for the restaurant right before they were going to open. So they literally were like, ah, you're hired. We, we need help right now. <laughs> we just need hands. <laughs> yeah, we just need hands. Uh, happened to be a brewery that uh, Chris applied to, what, the week before? I think I think it was actually the day before. The day before. I yeah. went around to a handful of breweries and restaurants and, and struck out at everywhere, but but a uh, really nice Italian restaurant. So he ended up working at the restaurant, and I was very lucky to, to get the job at the brewery, I guess literally the day after he didn't. So you, uh, a lot of siblings will talk about sibling rivalries or the what, constant one-upping of each other so how does your relationship in the business like that play do you have a i don't a, i don't think we a rivalry with each other that has helped propel your business to not from a rivalry standpoint at least from my perspective but from a we push each other to try things and do things so he'll let's say as kids he would skateboard and want a skateboard ramp so i'd build one and he i couldn't skate very well but he could so he'd go and enjoy the time on the skateboard ramp um kind of things like that we have this um constantly pushing each other to try try things or do things different um and that's what helped us now or helps us now so when you opened the original brewery were there was it just the two of you did you have many other employees or were the were the two of you doing everything we had a lot of friends and family volunteers that would help us a couple of days of the week. But for the most part, yeah, it, it was, it was two of us. That's it. During the day, uh, I would kind of help John in the brew house or with filtration. And then late in the afternoon or at night would go out and uh, try to visit as many bars and restaurants as possible. And we only bottled probably once a week. And, uh, you know, we kind of made it a party for friends and family. You know, we'd only, it only would take a couple hours. We'd bring in four or five people and, and uh, they would kind of help us get started. And then over the years, as we'd sell a little bit of beer, we would always try to invest back into the brewery with equipment and then started to hire people. And I think our, our first employee was actually our cousin. So we didn't go too far outside the family. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of been our, 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 our step, you know, in the right direction since, since 97. So the, um, the brewery in Harrisburg was vastly different than here. Mm -hmm. um, what did that take quite a leap of faith to go from the 
that size, that location to because there's not many breweries now that are able to build a purpose-built building that is like at this scale. Yeah, so we didn't dive right in. It was a 15-year. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a while, but it was but it was it may have taken a while, but Mm -hmm. it it's still like that cutoff with like you went Mm -hmm. from here to like here at least size wise. Maybe you're still your distribution or your your barrel age was maybe not a huge jump right off the back. But so if if we we see it as tiny steps because every year you know every year we'd you build the first brewery has a the original brew house and a couple tanks and it was designed so as we grew we could just add on to it okay. modular you add some tanks you add some packaging equipment you add people and you can slowly build that the not only just process and equipment but core um, so 15 years in uh, we had just maximized every square inch of that building there, there literally was nowhere else we could go. So you're kind of bursting at the seams. We were. So we were actually looking at going outside. We were going to, just like we did here, outside tanks, build a new brew house outside. Um, and it kind of dawned on us that the overall infrastructure on that property wasn't really there. Um, mainly, we were in a floodplain. So the realization of us being a 15-year-old company and wanting to build something that was you know, built for time and it wasn't just the two of us anymore. We had, what, 38 people at that point? Um, so having 38 people, it's, it starts to dawn on you that, you know, if it's just Chris and I and our families, that's one bit of risk. But bringing in the 38 people plus if they had families or they did have families, um, we were like, wow, we have, to, we have to really make sure that this next step is, is designed to last. Um, not too big of a jump, you know, build a really solid base and kind of, again, pick it up and grow slowly every year from there. Um, so we had actually been watching this building. Uh, it had been here uh, at that point, 20 years. Um, so when we moved back to Harrisburg to start looking for buildings, we saw this one. It wasn't available, but we were like, wow, if that was where we would go, like that would be awesome because it's, it's perfectly located in a, in a traffic pattern. So people driving by can see you. Yeah. Um, it's also, very well suited for an industrial use you know, brewing beer or making beer is is manufacturing so you have to keep that in mind um it was just at that point not even an option so we started with a smaller building in harrisburg um so when it was time to grow of course this was on our list uh, and there's a bunch of other places we looked at as well we love harrisburg we love being a part of harrisburg we love central pennsylvania we think it's a great place uh, to live and work um and hershey just also had a couple boxes kind of checked off that that other locations didn't from a really from a traffic standpoint there's so many people that come literally drive up out front we're able to show people how beers made much easier that way it the, we can draw them in and we and can I, walk them through i would assume the proximity to the hershey park mm-hmm. and all of those attractions has probably helped immensely too it has definitely there's a number of reasons to come to hershey whether it's the park the convention center the giant center for all the concerts and sporting events that go on and i think that's what we find from a lot of people in the mid-atlantic region you know they've they've traveled to hershey you know once a year and uh, when they do we hope they stop in and see the brewery well, I know the location of it has been very ven- beneficial for me because we usually take our kids to Hershey Park <laughs> once a year. 
and my wife always works in a day for me to come to Trogues. <laughs> so it, it, I thank you for choosing this location. <laughs> thank your wife too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> And that, that really, that concept played into the design as we were thinking through how we were going to use this space and how we were going to set up the brewery. We wanted to make sure we had it as open as possible so you could come in with your kids and your kids could run around and, and do whatever and you could grab a beer or you and your wife could grab a beer and kind of walk the whole brewery. You can see every step of the way, uh, which I think is really cool. Um, with your kids running around like little little maniacs if they yeah. are little maniacs. and uh, They're maniacs. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> Uh, and you can try the different beer. Uh, and now if you want to take a deep dive, then you could actually go on a, a guided tour uh, and people can walk you behind the scenes. So it, it Which worked. everyone should do because <laughs> your brew house and just the tour of Trogues is one of the most impressive mm. in this area. Thank you. And the, like, I was just, once you go up onto the, the brew deck, it's just amazing. The, <laughs> one, the view of the whole whole facility and then just the equipment that you have is <laughs> not is unlike most of what you're going to see in this general area thank you yeah we, we we put a lot of thought into really every step every part of the layout um every piece of equipment we're, we're both major beer geeks and totally into designing uh breweries to to make the beer we want so then okay that'll lead me into this question then because it was in can't remember the year now but actually on monday one of my facebook memories that popped up was a tour of your harrisburg brewery that you were giving okay <laughs> and one of the things you had said on that was that uh you you guys don't do any market research that you brew the beer that you want to drink <laughs> and you really hope that other people want to drink it too and do you still follow that philosophy or at a larger scale do you Put more into market research. Well, I, I, our market research today is um, is fun for us. It's really part of our scratch beer uh, brewing system that we do. So um, we certainly do brew beers that we love to drink, um, all of them. But we we like to take other people's considerations into now. Yeah, so our market research would be actually going into the marketing and, and market and trying things mm -hmm. and looking around us and seeing what's going on. So we're very aware of of what's going on, who's doing what, and and trends. But we're so aware of it, we're trying not to follow them. Let's say. Well, th so that was another thing I was going to say is that one thing I would say it, it definitely seems like you don't do is follow trends. There ain't even. And how long did it take for you to have an IPA? 15 years. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. you're, I mean, everyone had an IPA and, and you guys were like, I guess Nugget Nectar was probably the, maybe the closest to an IPA until Perpetual came out. It was. That's why we purposely called it an Imperial Amber Ale because we were kind of stubborn and we we're like, this is not an IPA. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know why we took us so long to do IPAs because we love them. Like I'd love an IPA. Just the, the the young stubborn brewer, I guess, in us. Um, <laughs> it, part of it was also we were at full capacity. That's true. When we were in Harrisburg, you know, we were pushing that brewery to the limits, and we really didn't have extra tank space okay. until until we came here to the new place. Or time. Or time. Yeah. And he oh, because the the perpetual came out of the scratch pro, the program, mm -hmm. right? It was the, it was basically the first beer to graduate from scratch to year round. Um, and it wasn't until we started doing a couple batches in Harrisburg, and then when we came here is when we really had the 
we kind of could stretch out and we could try new things. And we had the, our scratch beer brew house here that allowed us to, to take a breath and dial in recipes. And now we'll do, I think we did about a hundred recipes last year on the scratch brew house. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And some are, some are searching for flavors. Some are searching uh, for techniques and trying new ingredients and some are just for fun. Do all the brewers get to play on the scratch system or is that mainly we, for we mainly have two people that specialize in that um it is it's a different brewing step there are brewing, different brewing steps than the, the larger system and when we're brewing on it we're asking for very specific information because since i'm not brewing on it um i'm asking them to report back very specific things so we found that if we have two really well-trained, really dedicated people dedicated to the Scratch Brew House, they help us dial in those recipes okay. really well. Um, so we have, f from a recipe development standpoint, there's, what, five of us that sit in a room and, and talk through techniques, ingredients, and what, what, we, what we think the beer should be, uh, formulate the recipe, and then give it to the Scratch Beer team to brew it. And then once it's done, we evaluate it. Um, we also listen to feedback that we're getting from across the bar take notes on that as well and do it again and then do it again and then do it again and then do it again <laughs> and just keep going and going because often the scratch the scratch beers are kind of just an iteration of a previous one sometimes like, sure yeah so if you're if we're searching for sometimes we have an end game in mind like uh first cut comes to mind where we wanted to do a mango ipa it was so good and, thanks which we've never done before. So we had to start with the real basic steps of the, the malts and the hops to set the kind of like base tone and then starting the, the different types of mangoes um, and learning how when they ferment, what flavors you're getting and what aromas you're getting. So we had to try a whole bunch of different techniques and when you add it, what type you add, what kind you're adding um, and then learning from it each step, which is super fun and cool for us um, when you get it right. And when you don't get it right, like sometimes we, we don't mind like I, that, that one of those batches, the mangoes came through really tannic, which I could tell wasn't going to be the end recipe, but I wanted to kind of see what the response was going to be. So we, we sent it across and actually the response was awesome. I was surprising. It was like, don't people taste the tannins? <laughs> uh, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't like, I knew it wasn't going to be yeah. the final batch and it was way better received than I pictured. Um, so it, we learn, learn along the way and then um, come up with first cut. So, and that worked. I think that took, I don't know, six or seven different recipes. Typically what it takes, it's about six. Okay. When we're like, ah, we know what to do. And the seventh is almost there. How often does a beer graduate from the scratch program? Not very often. Probably not. Yeah, not out of 100 out of last year. And, you know, a lot of times we're not necessarily thinking that scratch beer may graduate there may be some other some other element that we're going to learn from the process yeah. that could be applied to an entirely different okay. beer um, like the tweak an existing one or do you sometimes so when hop harvest comes in and we know one hop variety is different than the previous year we might do just a, a basic uh pale ale or ipa so we can taste that hop okay and then we can make sure the nuances are there that we're looking for and if not we can compensate then when we go to use that in a regular batch um, that happens a lot that actually, actually i think you're the first brewery i've talked to that like goes that in depth to um like year to year tasting or mm -hmm. 
uh, changing their seasonal things to by doing that. And yep. I guess because like, most of the breweries we talk to are smaller, so they don't have the resources to be able to do that. But it really starts from our actually nuggets a perfect example of um, that progression. So hop harvest, you know, happens once a year. We send two different teams out to hop harvest um, and for hop selection. So we'll we'll go to the farms and we'll go to the uh, brokers and we'll we'll select out of numerous lots hops specifically for beers for that year nuggets a great example where simcoe uh hop depending on which one you get um can be super delicious it can be creamsicle and mango and like really interesting or uh another side of it that i don't like uh it can really smell like uh tomcat which yeah i'm not a real big tomcat guy some people love it and i just can't do it so yeah there was the the i i um I don't know why it took me so long to learn what the hops were in Nugget Nectar because it's always been one of my favorite beers. And I was surprised that a big component was Simcoe because mm-hmm. typically a Simcoe beer has that taste to it and not the flavor pro- profile that Nugget Nectar has. Yeah, so if you get the, the Nugget hops. Yeah, um, and that's what I assumed. It was just mainly just Nugget hops. Which is super piney, uh, at least the ones we select. We look for the super piney ones. Um, with a little bit of floral tint. So as long as you get that nugget and you get the mango creamsicle Simcoe, uh, you get nugget nectar. If you don't get that, you'll absolutely notice a hop change. So from that, uh, that realization, you know, going to hop selection, making sure we get the right hops, then how do you take that one step further? Well, we took it as, well, as soon as the hop comes in, um, if it's going to be different, we would do a small batch brew and, and test that hop out. Now with Nugget, we have a, we have really good um, connection with hop growers for this hop, so we almost never have to do it with that one. But there's other varieties that we do it with for other beers. Is that one of um, your most important beers right now? Because that seems to be one of the ones that you have some of the most marketing behind and like fanfare whenever it's released every year. It's like Nugget Nectar, then Mad Elf mm-hmm. release is released with fanfare and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have three big once-a-year releases, and I think that's what you might be referring to because you yeah, get that fanfare. You know, the year-rounds, it's hard to – we might sell a lot more of the year-round, yeah. but you just you don't get that big release time, that party, like, hey, come get it right yeah, away. But, so between Nugget Nectar, uh, really Nimble Giant now in the summer. I don't know why that's – I love Nimble Giant. Um, that was, that's a newer one. So yeah, like two years, two or three two years. years now. Yeah, it only might be three years in. We're going on our third. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, Mad Elf, the holiday beer. Um, and that one isn't high in hops. It's more cherry-related. So we do a very similar technique with the cherry tasting. Yeah, I had a, a bomber of Mad Elf sitting in the back of my beer <laughs> fridge for a long time to age. And then I tried it. It was so good. <laughs> that I think must I w- have been, what, four, four or five years old probably, right? No, it had to be yeah. at least seven. Seven? Six. six. We go back well, I bo- I, it was, I mean, I think it was like a 2009 bottle. Yeah. yeah. At it when I bought it, um, and actually Nugget Nectar won me a uh, second place at our local Frederick Fairs homebrew competition. I brewed a clone of that, nice. and I got I got a red ribbon for it. <laughs> <laughs> and the Fresh. only reason it didn't do better is because they said it was uh, all the because it had to be entered in as an amber ale. Yeah, it wasn't so according that, to style. Yeah, that it wasn't <laughs> that it was too strong, and that yep. like sounds familiar all the yeah. things that make it nugget nectar were why it's an imperial amber yeah ale, not an amber ale yeah so then what 
actually, I would like to talk about this room because okay. where we're sitting right now, it's beautiful in this room. And in, in this is this where the, all the the um, in depth tours start? It is. It, yeah, the Splinter Cellar is uh, not only where we have the the three wood fooders, but also if you're coming into the brewery for a tasting tour, we use it as a kind of our launching point where you can check in, grab a uh, sample, kind of browse around a little bit in the cellar to look at the tanks, you know, before the tour starts. And then we do have our Art of Trogues art gallery as well that you can look at some really cool artwork created by some uh, um, mostly kind of regional artists. So what, um, so th these three fooders, mm -hmm. um, well, how many barrels are these? Each one is huge. About 290, <laughs> almost 300 barrels. That, and, um, I think a lot of people don't know what a fooder is exactly, so, um, and may even be hearing that word for the first time. Uh, can you explain to us about a fooder? Sure. Um, basically, it's just an oak, oak stave tank. So, um, they're, so if you take a wine barrel, it's the same exact premise where you have a lid, you have a base, and you take um, staves or sides that are curved, um, and cut a groove in the base and groove in the top and set the lids into those grooves and then tighten it with rings. Um, so we have, I think it's like 67 staves around the perimeter of the tank and there's um, cinching rings that you ratchet together. Uh, we actually help make it. So when the tanks come oh, cool. in, they come in, they come in as sticks, as staves. Um, and so we ha carried them in, helped the three uh, barrel makers or coopers, let's say, um, put the base together and then hang a setting ring from the ceiling, put up uh, almost 25 foot tall scaffolding, which was pretty wild, and then fed the individual staves into the ring, the support ring on the top, and just kind of built all the way around the perimeter. Uh, we have a cool whip, like web video on our website, which is fun to watch, uh, time-lapse, uh, I guess it's on our blog. And then uh, once you get in the last the last stave, there's actually a person still on the inside because someone has oh. to stay in there, which is kind of, kind of, I'm a little claustrophobic, so like, oh, a tiny. Um, didn't I didn't stay in there for that no, job. I didn't volunteer for that one. I did help with the staves up, but, uh, and then he scampers out the top through a ladder and you drop a lid in and that's really kind of wild because you build the lid uh, and set it on top. And the, since the, the staves are slightly curved, you have to very carefully open them up and let the lid drop just far enough and not so far that it just falls to the bottom <laughs> 21 feet down yeah. uh, so you drop that in and then you um what they did is you walk around the perimeter of the tank hitting the staves with a hammer into place like a giant sledgehammer while they're cinching in these rings these concentric rings from the bottom to the top um it's su super loud it's like you hear the and the whack 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 as they walk all around and um, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I had no idea how it was done before we we did it, and and now I'm like, ah, let's build more. This is, this is neat. <laughs> um, these are the tallest ones we could get. Um, they're three year old aged, um, Hungarian, French, and um, somewhere else, and I'm forgetting at the moment, Italian oak. Um, so that what it does is it allows a little bit of oxygen ingress, but almost almost none compared to let's say a barrel. Okay. Um, barrel that lets a lot more oxygen through. And we weren't really looking for that. We're looking for a home for the microflora to live in so that when we pull the beers out, um, you don't really 
you can't really clean the tank completely. So all that microflora still is in those staves. Because these are used for wild spon- beers. Yeah, spontaneous yeah. fermented or we don't. Sla- yeah, so spontaneous. We don't call it spontaneous too? to okay. us. Um, so we we'll do a primary fermentation in stainless steel oh, okay. uh, with a Saccharomyces yeast, um, and then send it to the fooders where this secondary fermentation will happen um, with our our house culture. Uh, the the it has lactobacillus multiple multiple strains of lactobacillus pediococcus bretamesis, um and some and yeasts as well uh, like some saison yeasts will be in there and um, so that'll happen for a secondary fermentation and then some of them will get fruit on top of that either in these tanks or in other tanks okay so it just kind of depends on on what we're brewing. Are these mainly used for wild elf? Because that's what's yeah. in them now? or is Right it... now, two of them are wild elf, okay. and that's just because of the time of year. Um, very soon, the one will get emptied, and we'll have a wild elf, uh, one that I'm working on, and then we have a, a base brown that's going to be called Splinter Bronze, which we haven't released yet. Um, so that base, let's say funky brown or sour brown, um, then if you add fruit to it, you get other beers. So if you take the, the basically if you take Jovial, our Belgian double, add uh, Deer Creek Rye, which is a local maltster with Pennsylvania malt. Um, so you add a local Pennsylvania malt rye, um, ferment it with our house culture, you get our Splinter Bronze, which is kind of funky, kind of barnyardy, and a little tart, not very sour at all. You bring that to a, a third tank and add, let's say, nectarines from Peter's Orchard, um, you get what we call Dear Peter. So it's at that point, the third fermentation, you'll get the pediococcus kick into gear. It'll get crazy sour. Um, so you'll get also get the, um, the sourness or the, the tartness, let's say, from the fruit. Um, and you'll get these really complex flavors from it. So it's it's a constantly building. So basically, up. you're brewing very complicated beer. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds. I guess it sounds more complicated than it actually is. <laughs> but yeah. So the um, wild elf is it? Are you just taking part of the normal mad elf production and putting into these, or is it a? We change it slightly. Okay. Um, to be able to. Yeah, because what happens is when you, when you ferment with our normal mad elf strain, we know. Th- we love uh, not only the flavors that it gives, but the the texture that it leaves because it leaves a nice mouthfeel to it. When you put in these other house cultures, they'll ferment it so dry it's it hurts. Like it, it you're like this is way too dry. So we we change the malt composition slightly to make sure there's a residual mouthfeel on that final beer. Once it does keep fermenting, that that dryness is still going to be there, but we're still going to have enough of the viscosity let's say left in the beer that you know it's not going to be too dry because it's the tap the tartness or the sourness also changes that texture so we want to make sure that um we leave enough in there so these say um expected blend on them the first and then second in different years what does that mean yeah so when we first started it we weren't 100 percent sure if we were going to use the whole tank okay um for a release because typically we we envisioned well, one, we hadn't done it before, so we weren't 100% sure what we were going to get. But two, we envisioned um, blending beer we had in barrels with beer we have in, a, let's say, a medium-sized fooder and beer we had in a large-sized fooder. It turned out this year, the Wild Elf, the first time we used the fooder, 
Um, the beer was awesome. So we were like, ah, we don't need to blend this. This is so good. Let's just let it go the way it is. Uh, I do envision in the future blending off. Okay. Um, maybe we'll get lucky and it'll always be, but I highly doubt. So the thought was uh, you take half. I was picturing we'd take kind of half of each tank the first year and then the second half you take the second year because as it develops it'll it'll get to a point a little more sour not a lot you'll also pick up more flavor from the wood uh, which you have to watch to make sure you don't get too many tannins um yeah so blending blending the art of blending is that last step the okay. last step you you taste a bunch of different things you have and and you have to envision what you want it to be and then you build it you build it from the different barrels do the insides of these have to be refinished at any part of time, or is part of it just the collection of all these flavors? To it, it, you know, it's really beer dependent, so depending on what beer you're putting in. Um, now, I know breweries that do it, they scrape it every once in a while to get that oak flavor out. Um, these were brand new tanks, so a lot of the people that are scraping have older ones, older okay. tanks that they, they already have some age on them. Um, the Coopers that we worked with, they were like, hey, you won't have to touch these for 20 years. So. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. But we'll we'll, we'll adjust as needed. So we just taste it and decide if we want more oak or not. I'm hoping not because it's going to be tough to get to the top. Yeah, I was wondering how how exactly do you – I guess you have to take the top off and then – There's a large send. manway on top and you okay. can drop a either scaffolding down or a rope ladder, which I'm not excited about. <laughs> you won't be volunteering for that one either? I, I will because okay. I, I like to do it at least once okay. first because if I can do it, then anyone can do it. <laughs> Now, Chris, you had mentioned um, right behind you mm -hmm. uh, up the steps is the art gallery and right. the art of trogues. So the trogue seems to have a large art component with it. Is, does that spur from a you guys being interested, involved in, in art? Or wh where does that dedication to art come from? Well, I think that's part of it. I think as, as brewers, we're always thinking of, making beer is part of our art form and and what goes around the beer certainly helps tell a story and and we've always worked with local artists that do our illustrations of each beer label and you know from that that's kind of extended out into a contest that we've run every year with trying just to encourage anybody whether they're a professional artist or not and that's to use some form of our packaging or logos just to try to see what they can create uh, in the form of art. So over the years that has grown a lot. It's been a fun contest for us just to see what people can do themselves. You know, we love people who make things and we love to see what they make. Um, and I think that's just part of being a, a brewer or a, uh, a maker ourselves. So the art gallery, um, it's what, three years old now. <clears throat> it does evolve each year. We try to freshen it up a little bit with uh, new artwork from last year's contest. And you know, we, we think that's just a great way to kind of launch the tours. Yeah, I'm going to have to go up and look. I don't know if it's the same as the last time I was here or not. The last time I was here, there were um, a pair of Nike shoes mm -hmm. that were made. <laughs> Are those still there or have those rotated out? Those were one of the winners, so they're probably okay. still up there. Yeah. Do you get a lot of submissions to that? Uh, we we get do. some really interesting ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're all over the board, that's for sure. Yeah, we get a good amount. Uh, it's it's always great to see what comes in, uh, the full range. Uh, so it, it's it's neat that people that aren't um, like the best artists in the world are still inspired to do stuff. I think that's really cool, um, and it's also pretty amazing the elaborate things that we get. 
um, which is also really, really neat. So what are in the barrels right behind us? The, the 50, those are the probably 55 gallon, right? Yeah. So those are, I believe those are 25 year old sherry barrels that we put, um, basically jovial our Belgian double in as well. Okay. So we, we brewed a bunch of the, the jovial that I mentioned in the, that's going to be splinter bronze. Um, so it's jovial with local rye and put them in cherry barrels, put them in the big fooder and also put them in a bunch of, uh, wine barrels and back uh, a little bit in bourbon barrel too, just to kind of see what would happen okay. and see how they developed. So that those are very close to being ready. And then you have a whole nother room filled with uh, another set of barrels. So, you so we actually have, so uh, spread across the entire brewery, we have probably over 1,500 barrels right now. Oh, wow. Between bourbon. It's, it balloons out uh, larger when we're doing batches of bourbon barrel aged beers. Because bourbon barrel, bar bourbon barrel, say that 10 times. Yeah. Uh, we only use the barrel once. So you, you bring it in. They're much thinner staves, so the oxygen ingresses in really fast. Um, so to me, they're not great wild beer um, vessels. So we'll just use them for the to bring out the toasted coconut, the vanilla, like the flavors of the barrel itself or the bourbon itself. Um, when we do a, a batch of Troganator, um, Freaky Peach, we have a beer called Blackberry Tizzy. Um, we could, we could get 500 extra barrels just sitting out there. So I think right now we're probably in the 1500 barrel range. Okay. And then in a month or so we'll be up in the 2000. Freaky peach is so good. Yeah. So we I love that. Thank you. I love the freaky peach cause it smells completely like it tastes, then it tastes. Uh, we have another one that we're, that's called blackberry tizzy. That's not out yet. It's just the blackberry version of freaky peach. Okay. So you take the peaches out and you put in the blackberries and it's, it's wild. It's so good. So the, Early on, the the two of you had to do a lot of everything. Mm -hmm. What does your typical day look like now? Are you still have your hands in everything, or are you try to? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, John, we're, our responsibilities, we call it, have always been somewhat divided. Where he's focused more on the production side, and I'm more on the sales, marketing, and finance side. I think that the big difference today, though, is we have developed teams that really run a lot of those areas that we try to connect with on a daily basis. Yeah, we're 250 people strong now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we now have to kind of be the visionaries outside of the brewery and figure out where we're going to go and then make sure we communicate that, that to each of the teams. And they're really good at what they do. So as long as they're understanding, like, hopefully where we're trying to get to, um, they don't need us there prodding and yeah. pushing them. <laughs> we just like to be a part of the, the process. Yeah. So I love to see the... The, I love to go to the brewing meetings every morning and see like what's going on in the, in the plant. I love to walk the floor. I walk the floor five times a day just so I can, you know, see the equipment and be amongst the, what's going on. I just, I enjoy that environment. That, mm -hmm. That's just where I want to be. Um, and on the flip side, you know, we'll, we'll sit in sales meetings and marketing and, and we don't have to be there by any means, but we just like it. So we, we do it. So when you moved in here, you added the snack bar mm -hmm. to, which is a thing is one of the most, um, under rating of the name of a restaurant <laughs> ever. Um, did that grow from you originally wanting a brew pub or just cause you've, you've created this beer playground and an absolute destination in is of itself that you wanted to offer amazing food also. 
and today of food's a big part of what we do here in the tasting room. Um, absolutely. Uh, we love food. You know, we love to go travel and visit um, a lot of the restaurants that are selling our beer. We've never really pictured ourselves as restaurant tours, though, which is kind of interesting. You know, we, we consider ourselves much more brewers. But when we moved here, we kind of anticipated the number of visitors coming to see the brewery and realized if we're going to offer beer, we should also offer food. You know, that's the responsible thing to do. And the snack bar is kind of our way of doing it. You know, it's not a traditional sit down restaurant. It's more concession style, but we have a limited menu. A lot of it is kind of sourced locally. Um, it's made from scratch every yep. day. We have our own bakery, have our own butcher shop. But we it do is a definitely lot of- not concession style quality <laughs> food. <laughs> it doesn't we, have to be, right? Yeah, yeah. For our grilled cheese, we baked, or our bakers baked uh, 4,000 loaves alone just for the grilled oh, cheese last year. Uh, I just figured out the or she figured out last year. I think she said she did 30,000 pretzel rolls just for the one sandwich, which is super cool. So all in house. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a really create a cool creative outlet for us as well. Cause now we can come up with beer recipes and then think through, well, cool. What do we want to eat with it? And, um, sit with the snack bar creative team and talk through how you, um, create these different lighthearted, fun, interesting scratch made, uh, dishes, um, that don't really have anything guiding them other than, is it going to fit in a snack bar? So it's unpretentious. It's just super fun and, and, and delicious, but pairs or eats well with beer. So it's typically not made with beer. Um, but it's, it's kind of our fun rendition of if you want to go to a brewery and drink the beer, what do you want to eat with it? Like it yeah. should just be fun. <clears throat> well, there's a, um, there's a newspaper conference that's held in Hershey every year. And it was three, two or three years ago that Graham and I were at that conference. We went specifically because there were people talking about doing newspapers, doing video, what was working for them, what wasn't working, and then podcasting. And so we attended that. We came here, had lunch and a beer afterwards, and that's where the idea and the planning for all of this was formed. (laughs) Nice. So we're kind of coming back full circle. So I don't yeah. know if that means we're done now. Oh, no, um, I hope not. Yeah. Just <laughs> probably not. Started. But <laughs> yeah, just getting started. Um, so I am a big fan of uh, the awesome. snack bar. Cool. Well, thank you. So I would. I think you use the word of slow, methodic growth and expansion. Mm-hmm. Is would you? Do you think is that what you can contribute to your success while there are? Other, I mean, within the past year, several of the other large breweries have had pretty large setbacks. I mean, Green Flash just announced, um, I think what they cut, a lot lot of their workforce. They pulled out of 33 states. Mm -hmm. Um, Stone has had layoffs. And then Smutty Nose just had to put themselves on the auction block. Right. So is is it that you think is is saved you guys and made you successful, or is it? Sure. We feel like every day is still a fight out there, but no, I think our our approach has always been kind of just slow and steady, and uh, try to grow our backyard as much as possible. And and you know that was one of the reasons John and I chose to move back home to Central Pennsylvania is because geographically. You know, we sit in a great spot. We're close to a lot of major cities. There's a lot of local pride in Pennsylvania for things that are made in Pennsylvania. And we felt like trying to trying to 
make it work here would be a lot easier than say, you know, Colorado, which is where we were at the time. Um, and try to build relationships. You know, we, th we still think that's a lot of making beer. You have to have great beer, but you have your wholesaler partners, which have to be aligned with you. You have bars and restaurants that have to like your beer, like the people that are coming in to do your promotions for the beer. I mean, it takes all those combinations to, to do it right. I know um, our sponsor, the Roast House Pub, uh, almost always has one of your beers on tap. Mm -hmm. And often, I think at least once a year, has a Trogues tap takeover and that uh, they will be having, I think, a Nugget Nectar event coming up whenever, well, I think next week it finally makes its way into uh, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I think Slow and Steady is a very, very uh, large part of, let's say, our bedrock, um, just mindset in general. Uh, it helps us not overextend. And also, w when we make decisions, we're not looking at the, the minute, the week, or the month. We're looking at, you know, three-year, five-year, ten-year. We you know, much longer term, plan to be around a long time. Um, and it's just, it's the two of us ownership wise. So we don't have to answer to um, a board or answer to investors that are screaming for, for a return know, whatever. Or... Yeah. So we, we keep it, uh, keep it mindful around that, let's say. How many states are you available in? 10 states plus uh, DC. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's a, we haven't expanded in quite a while. That's a really small footprint for the volume that you do. It's a so, lot of people, though. If you look yeah. At the number oh, of yeah. People. I mean, <laughs> density-wise, it's. Right. But I mean, it, I think that leads to the, the smart expansion. I mean, it's the same. Uh, close neighbors, your Yingling has mm -hmm. done, I and mean, they mm -hmm. produce a ton of beer, but it's only available on the East Coast. Yeah, we, we're. I'm a huge fan of Yingling. They're great neighbors to have, um, and we've watched them. You know, as we before we even had the brewery, we definitely took note. I mean, someone that can be around that long and generational brewers, like that's pretty impressive and still be independent. Uh, it's pretty wild. So what um, do you have anything exciting coming up in 2018 that you want to give people a sneak peek to? <laughs> we, we do always have something exciting coming. Um, I don't know. We want to sneak peek. I kind of sneak peeked uh, Blackberry Tizzy. I was going to say we have a couple okay. splinter beers that we yeah. haven't announced, but John just did. <laughs> One of them that are in the pipeline, we think are ready. We're just uh, putting the final touches on them. So that'll be a bourbon barrel aged uh, Blackberry Sour. So that'll be actually as soon as the labels show up, that'll be ready. The beer's ready. We're just waiting on labels. Is that a right holographic now. label too? Like uh, I don't think so. No. Or is it? The Blackberry tizzy i don't is remember it a hologram it yet no it's not yeah. it says i love freaky peach as mm -hmm. the it's, hologram yeah, on yeah. it too so it looks cool when she brought that to us we're like oh my god that's just <laughs> that's hilarious yeah. <laughs> um and uh so when are you gonna make a hazy ipa a hazy uh or has there been a scratch blizzard's <laughs> been hazy no it's not the hazy yeah. IPA you're referring to uh you know that uh, i'm a fan of 15 that 15 years no, years. <laughs> it's I not that slow and steady. Yeah. I've uh, I've learned never to say never. Yeah. Um, especially if you were on an earlier tour, I used to always say I'll never do beers in cans. Now never can my beer. It's only good for soup. <laughs> well, I, I was certainly wrong on that one. Yeah. Um, so well, we, I mean, the owner of Lagunitas, well, former owner of Lagunitas, used to go on tirades about he would never put beer in a can, mm -hmm. and now they have uh, <laughs> twelve packs of cans. <laughs> It is called the, I think, the twelfth day of never or something like that. Oh, but maybe it, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it, you know, I used to say I wouldn't brew with beer with 
brew with fruit and obviously that went away pretty quickly <laughs> so i never say never I, I, that's a really interesting style um so maybe maybe someday what is um the your favorite beer that you make or have made today oh, gosh yeah <laughs> the lug and ne- nectar tasted pretty good a it couple did. minutes ago <laughs> yeah my m- Maybe not my favorite. My go-to is Troganator. Like that's just my, always my fallback. And it's just a great name too. Just, I just love that beer. So um, I, I would lean on that one. I'd say, just because that's 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 my backbone. All right. Well, I know you guys have uh, a lot to do today, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. And I I really want to thank you for having us up and giving us uh, some of your time and a peek into the life of trogues yeah thanks for coming up absolutely good talking to you. yes and thank, thank you, you everyone much. for watching and listening cheers. Yep, cheers cheers the uncapped podcast is made possible by continued support from roast house pub with 20 taps of craft beer and an amazing menu you are sure to find something to enjoy check out www.roasthousepub.com or their facebook page to keep track of upcoming events such as tap takeovers the mom spaghetti dinner night competitions and the always amazing beer dinners There's always something for you to enjoy. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.